Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. Hey, welcome to another episode of Changing the Story. Got a really phenomenal guest today, Kaiser Kaderi. He is the head of the Stanford Human Perception Laboratory, adjunct associate professor at Stanford University, and faculty at the Stanford Institute for Human-Centered AI. Kaderi is a renowned ophthalmologist with subspecialization in neuro-ophthalmology and orbital surgery. He's also the CEO of Visario Inc., a perceptual AI company. He has extensive domain expertise in visual, psycho psychophysics, wearables, VR, AR, MXR, applied neuroscience, human factors, human-machine interaction, and AI. He's developed novel technologies in these areas and generated multiple invention patents. Selected as a 40 under 40, he contributed to President Obama's Council of Advisors on science and technology regarding vision technology and the aging population. He's also advised multiple companies and organizations, including Magic Leap, NBA, Airy Pharma, and the World Health Organization and World Bank. Kaiser, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Neil and Michael. Really excited. Love what you guys do. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. As a visionary, what is the story that you want to bring to the world, Kaiser? The story I want to bring, Michael, is the fact that we live in a really exciting time right now. And, you know, we talk about this future, about having uh, technology that is human-centered. It's something that I'm really passionate about. And what I want to bring to the world is human intelligence systems. Like, how do we create a Jarvis? You know, I know that's kind of like, it's one of those things that everyone kind of aspirationally looks for, but how do we create a type of intelligence that helps every man, woman, child, regardless of where you come from, what your socioeconomic status is. It's just something that, that's something I'm really passionate about is, is how, do we, how do we get there and, and, and building towards that future. That's excellent. By the way, for people that don't know what Jarvis is and, and what your vision is, could you just be a little bit more specific? <laughs> yeah, so, so we use technology every day, right? Our phones and, and uh, I mean, everyone's on a mobile device and it knows all our, all our information but it doesn't interact in the same way that a person would that had the same type of information. So how do we bridge that gap? How do we make your technology understand you at a level where it can improve all the different aspects of your life? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what Jarvis does for Iron Man. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I'm a fan. Yeah. I, just, I, guess, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it ever helped him with his drinking problem, at least in the comic book. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, well, we all have our crosses to bear. It's, 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 it's an interesting and very noteworthy goal. Um, I'm just, I'm just kind of curious because I actually just gave a keynote for AI Expo Africa, and it was actually about some of the things that are actually driving inequality and technology is one of them. And there's this, you know, growing have and have nots, and people have the infrastructure or access to certain technologies or, you know, the education but you're trying to do this for everybody. So I'm kind of curious as how you envision you can make this happen. Yeah, no, um, well, it's a good question. First thing is making it where it's, you know, you kind of, de so a lot of it has to do with democratizing some of the technologies that exist uh, that allows developers wherever they are in all different parts of the world to be able to implement it in 
whether it's through software, whether it's through hardware or combination. And I think that's, um, so one is a democratization, but the other part is, is how do you actually make it meaningful? And how do you understand behavior at a depth, human behavior at a depth where you can create compassion or empathy? A lot of what we do is, is, is based off what are my perception or your perception or, you know, or Michael's perception of the world is that's how we act. And so there's bias associated. So how do we do it in a way that's also like non, non-biased? And, that, and by doing that, you have to kind of democratize the technology. So a bunch of different people can build towards that future. So that's the first step. The second step is making it where it's, it's, it's frictionless. So you're able to put this into an experience where I could be doing what I normally do. You know, if I'm a gamer or if I'm working and the technology and the zoom's on, you know, like the technology is working in the background. So it doesn't interrupt my daily life, but it enriches it. So those are like two key like points that we really focus on in kind of building towards this future. And when you say that, it, it, I can't help but think of another movie, which is Her. Did you see, did you see that movie? <laughs> yeah. It's a great okay. Movie. So uh, I won't even I won't even go into whether or not we're going to fall in love with that artificial intelligent <laughs> agent. Uh, but I thought what you're saying is really interesting. I wonder if you could go even further. You know, we're talking about the video game and they, they can interact with it. You know, I'm calling it an AI entity, perhaps even a different term for it. But how else might this, what, what might this look like just for a regular everyday person uh, if they had this, this access, this ability to use this, I don't know, Jarvis, uh, whatever you want to call it, how, how would our lives change? Yeah, you know, it's, that's a very good question. It's, it it, it kind of goes to the point of like, what is artificial intelligence? And, and we talk about it in, in a variety of ways. And really where AI is today, it's, it's very narrowed. It's very task oriented. It's right. like, you know, we use it every day with Alexa. So, I mean, that's one type where you're just asking it like, hey, Alexa, like what's the weather? I shouldn't have said that because I have Alexa next to me. Um, <laughs> but, but we're like to envision the future that, 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 that we're talking about here today. It's having it where you can go from different experiences in your everyday life and being able to, to have an intelligence that kind of follows you so it's something that is um and and in terms of that you you know when, when i think about true artificial intelligence i think about in terms of reverse engineering the brain mm-hmm. and you know my background as a neurophthalmic surgeon i mean this is stuff that i've intimately dealt with and you know the first step was for me in terms of reverse engineering the brain is taking how a human interacts with the world and how they grow up, and let's start there. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, you have a child. If you look at a child that's pre-verbal, they are, are, are relying on their senses. So there's, there's 12 cranial nerves that take in the world around you and help frame your perception of the world, right? And you start using those the minute you're born, <laughs> the minute you're, you're out there. And so you can see children being very intuitive at a very early age. They know when they're at home or not, before they can speak, right? Mm-hmm. They know that if they're in a safe environment. So giving that, that same types of principles in, in terms of using sensory data to start off with, and we have so many sensors now, but using the same principles in terms of how a human develops and, 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 and building that into our machine learning interfaces where 
that's how we start learning about human behavior is based off humans. I mean, we have the, the perfect roadmap. Um, we, we are that roadmap. Right. So if we start there, then the intelligence can start growing just like a child grows. Mm-hmm. When, when you say that, uh, it seems to me we're talking about the senses. And I wonder if, uh, you know, I, I have young children and I, and I hadn't thought about that way, what you're talking about in terms of they, even before they're, they're verbal, they have this sense and this understanding where they are uh, due to their senses. Uh, do you think it's possible then that uh, we could create an AI that almost functions to have a kind of intuition, if you will, because we have senses, right? We can smell, see things, but also there is a kind of intuition and you see, especially with, with children, um, that might be kind of a black box kind of thing, but is that something that we can even anticipate or plan for? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a great question, Michael. And, and, and you said the term black box, right? So there is, there is something that's within us that we just don't know. It's that area where it's like, it's, there, there's so many different factors that are associated with it. It's really hard to be able to, to, to replicate it. And that's kind of, I think, where we're stuck in right now in a lot of ways in, in building towards that future. The way I look at it is if we first get the principles down in terms of how we bring in information and then how, cause the way I kind of see, and this is really simplifying it down the way we deal with our everyday interactions in life, we perceive something and then we act on it or we perceive it. We have some intention, we do some decision-making and then we act on it. Right. So I'll, I'll kind of explain the difference. If you are driving and you see a car, you see a kid run, run in front of the, the car, it's just perceive the situation and act. It's almost like a zero sum type of decision, right? But the more times you see that, maybe it's the same child every time running out in the street, you know, you start getting, it goes from real time type of decision making to more historic and it's more of your working memory and things like that. And that's kind of how I see the three pieces of the puzzle in terms of the, the brain and in terms of kind of like that black box. So I think it's really, so we can think about which ones we can replicate first and work towards that. We can get to more of an intuitive type of intelligence, but a lot of that involves a black box. And then, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys have, you know, the whole glass box and explainable AI component is really important because, you know, there are a lot of biases. It kind of goes back to what Neil was talking about in terms of giving that talk in Africa. Like with, when, you, when, you, when you're putting different types of models into con- computer vision and you have these cameras, I mean, we've already seen some of, you know, the biases going in there where it can have people of certain types of, of, of ethnic origins that can, you know, mislabel them and then they can misperceive them. And so it's really about in any type of intelligence, intelligence you have to have the ability to be able to, to go back and, and, and identify that decision making and correct it. It's just like your children. I don't know how old your children are, but you probably gave them a certain set of rules for certain situations, but nothing's ever binary. Mm-hmm. There's always that little bit of gray, but you start off binary and then as experience happens, and that's kind of like building that knowledge graph for that artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so I gotta ask Kaiser, I mean, given that, is it necessarily the best thing to teach the machine purely on what people would do or behave Right, we, we, as we've been talking about, we got our own biases and our own blinders at times. Is, is that really the best strategy, or sometimes is it better to let the machine bring its um, logic or rationality to the equation? 
you know, it's a delicate balance. You know, I, I remember a, um, a professor of mine in med school once said that, and I think that this applies to, to any field, is that you definitely have, like in medicine, you, he, he taught us the art of medicine. There's so much of it that's logic driven, but then there's so much of it that's the, the soft skills. And you really emphasize that, and that really stuck with me. And I think that that's the balance that we have to face with everything. From education, I mean, STEM programs are awesome, but at the same time, are we limiting creativity and innovation from a different way? And I think that's kind of is how do you, because you're right. I mean, maybe because we're so fallible as people and we're not perfect, like maybe the machines can be more perfect for us. But, you know, sometimes in that logical thinking, you know, I was just giving this discussion yesterday. What if you're trying to create some kind of a recommendation based off like emotion in someone in a, like for example, that's crying. Those could be tears of joy or tears of pain depending on the context, right? Sure. But you don't know, it just says, okay, tears, sad. Yeah. And it might not be in the right place at the right time. So, um, so I think that, that there's that balance. And I, that's why I think that, you know, having, Having, I read something in like a tech crunch just recently about this dual PhD. I don't know if you, you heard about this like article. I can always share, I can share it with you after, but there's a concept of how a lot of technologies and whether you agree with it or not, it was just an interesting thought process. A lot of technologies are, have, have been kind of been built that are kind of like the infrastructure kind of technology and they're continuing to be built for this next generation of, of, of technologies. But the type of innovation you need now is you kind of need to cross pollinate. You need to be able to have a domain expertise in, 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 in one or two or three, diff, more than one, and be able to kind of see it. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about here mm -hmm. is you can be a brilliant neuroscientist and computer scientist and stuff, but, you know, um, have you applied some of that in like the real world setting? And the same thing with like, you know, I have a lot of colleagues on the other end that are like, oh, well, you should do this, this, and this. I'm like, well, that sounds great, but how are you going to build it? How are you going to implement it? So it's that kind of like delicate balance between the two. Yeah, I completely agree with that. We were talking with someone on the show a few weeks ago about the need for that when it comes to education. Unfortunately, we've been uh, teaching our students in kind of a, a siloed format where what they also need is the ability to integrate different ideas and to almost be polymaths in, in a way because especially now that's something that AI cannot do. You're right, it's, it's, it's narrow focused. Um, I want to change the gears just one second here because I wanted your opinion on something. Um, you know, you, you are doing all of these things are so cut, cutting edge when it comes to technology and because you have this vantage that, that a lot of people wouldn't have, what are some of the most exciting things that you see coming online right now or at least they're uh, closer than we thought just a few years ago when it comes to, let's say, um, AI uh, helping with vision, uh, VR, AR, any of those things that, that you think would be fascinating for people to learn about that they may not be aware of? Yeah, I, um, in terms of just like vision and, and, and healthcare, there's a lot in terms of the applications of, of these types of wearables. So, you know, like smart technologies, um, not necessarily just AR, VR. So I'm really excited about like, you're going to start seeing, you know, glasses come out that will have certain types of sensors in it that will help those that have vision disabilities, whether it's through voice um, or uh, whether it's through, um, uh, you know, some light augmented reality that's associated with it, if it has a camera in terms of navigation. So those things are pretty exciting. 
Um, I mean, I can talk about how artificial intelligence is also being used in, in terms of, you know, um, looking at the, the genes that affect certain types of like vision conditions and stuff as well. Um, but I really think the computer vision aspects and um, are, are what's really exciting in um, a lot of the headsets that are coming out and a lot of the augmented reality and virtual reality like systems. So I think there's three ways and I, I don't think people really realize um, how close we are with wearables in terms of just the, the glasses. I mean, Apple's supposed to be coming out with something relatively soon. I think in the next 24 months, you're going to see a lot of people starting to wear glasses a little bit more. Um, dovetails into the fact that our behavior in life is causing us to be more nearsighted. The WHO released something a couple of years back about half of our world is going to be nearsighted in the next 20 years. So, I mean, it's wow. a great, it, it's, it's a new computing platform for a reason, uh, multiple reasons. But in terms of augmented reality and virtual reality, I think, one, we're getting to a place now where the form factors and the ergonomics are such that you can be in them for longer periods of time. So that's super exciting, um, especially on the VR side, since, you know, um, that, that's where you see a lot of the, you know, the early issues with in terms of adoption was it wasn't just the applications, just how long can you stay in the system? I don't know if you guys have tried it, tried earlier systems, but, you know, it I don't know how you guys felt about that, but now they're getting, they're getting better. And so is the network. So everything else is kind of caught up. So I think, you know, with, I'm really excited about the next Oculus release. And I think that you're going to really see a huge uptick. I think COVID's kind of accelerated that too, because more people at home, but they want to be able to experience things like beyond <laughs> their, their four walls. And with augmented reality, you're, you're starting to see more of it. You're even seeing it in Zooms, you know, with like, you know, so you're starting to see like applications of how we can use AR. And I think that's going to drive a lot of the innovation. Do I see like a full AR headset, like, you know, um, in, the, in the coming future? I do. I do see it probably in the next 24 months in a form factor that actually looks cool. I think the biggest problem with the, these types of technologies was the hardware was so expensive the network connectivity, like all the different components were too large. And now they're at a point where they're going to look cool. They're not going to look like you're coming from like, you know, what we envisioned 2050, you're coming into yeah. the world like wearing those. So, so um, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. So guys, I, I got to ask because you, you've done so many cool things. You got to work with the NBA and like the San Francisco 49ers. Vizario, what led you to Vizario and what, what's your hope with perceptual AI? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think what led me to Vizario is literally, um, you know, I, I, I got into medicine for a number of different reasons, uh, you know, and I mean, part of it was just, you know, how you grow up. Um, <laughs> if you're if you're the son and daughter of immigrants from India, there's there's certain choices that you have in terms of career paths. So, <laughs> with a handful of okay jobs, right? <laughs> Less than a handful. Uh, three or four. Um, so 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 I went into medicine with you know uh, certain motivations, and um, once I got in, I got into ophthalmology. Um, you know, I was really excited about the technology aspects of things, and that kind of unlocked a different area of my brain. And, and it got me to kind of pursue this area of like how it first started in sports. Um, that's kind of like how I started working with some of these, these different teams um, was, well, how, 
how do athletes perceive differently? You know, well, yeah, sure, we can measure them in certain ways in terms of like their visual acuity and things like that. And usually they have better vision than, than most people, better than 2020. But then I, I want to take a step further. I'm like, well, how's the brain processing this? And that's kind of, and then once I kind of started digging deeper and deeper, and, you know, I even started to educate myself more by doing that fellowship in neuro-ophthalmology, I realized, you know, your eye is an extension of your brain. And you're, you know, and then these cranial nerves connect your eye, brain, and body. And it's, it's like a beautiful kind of symphony. And I'm like, well, you know, I can see patients day in and day out. And I love it. And I love the, I love, I miss the operating room in terms of like, cause I don't really operate right now that much or, and, and I love the, the one-on-one care, but then I was thinking, well, how can you use technology to scale that? How can it help, you know, millions and potentially billions of people in like, you know, cause typically you would only see me in a hospital setting. No one really hangs out with, <laughs> with the neuro ophthalmologist. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is like, but if I could take that knowledge, I can take every all the cool things that were happening in the in the different science labs that were associated with me, and I can share that. That that's kind of what led to Visario. And along the way is how I kind of learned, you know, through trial and error, you know, how to make technology in a way where it's not aspirational. Mm-hmm. It's more of like we're this is how we should do it. So when I first made my, you know, when I made vision training games to improve sport performance it looked like a cool home run derby game until the science came in. Then it looked like a science project because you're playing a home run derby game and then a bunch of like things came in and you're like, what are all these colors? Um, And then when I learned from execs at different gaming companies saying, well, no, this needs to be kind of like, you know, it needs to be more invisible. And, you know, and then I also like talk to athletes about it. I'm like, would you use this? And, you know, somebody use this and so forth. And so you kind of like, I started learning more, about being able to build products and knowing to still keep true with the science. And what I want to try to build with perceptual AI is this is the building block towards that, that, that Jarvis environment I was telling you about. You first have to create perception. So if you can teach machines how to perceive the world, then you can start adding the other aspects. Well, I mean, what you're also talking about, it seems to me, is performance. Uh, you're talking about it from a, from a sports standpoint. It's not just about, you know, uh, solving, let's say, blindness. Uh, it's about actually adding to your existing abilities and enhancing them. So I, at least that's my understanding. Um, I, I wonder what that might look like in the future with all the, the endeavors that you have going on. How might we enhance our, our abilities, especially when it comes to our senses? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, you know, it kind of goes a little bit, it's, it kind of blends a little bit also into what Neil was asking too. And in, in some ways, it's like, when you think about performance, there's behavior. I look at it in terms of behavior. Like when, when I would see patients, I'm like, okay, what behavior led to this versus like how much of this is also related to genetics? Because, you know, it's, it's a little bit of everything, but right. so much of what we do in life that affects our health, and this is with my, with my medical hat on, is like, is behavior related. But then when you kind of take that out into our overall lifestyle, our behavior dictates everything that we, we do. Mm-hmm. Aside from health, whether, you know, like our, what type of entertainment we do, you know, like how do we deal with our interpersonal relationships? Like it's all kind of dictated. So sports and like, so performance behavior is just one aspect. The way I kind of looked at how, you know, and whether these five categories are you know, are, are the five categories or just five that I picked in terms of kind of reconciling behavior is like, 
how do people comprehend? How do they engage? What are their emotional states? Uh, what is their performance and what's their fatigue, right? right? And then once you can understand that, then, and, and, you can, and you can create models around that, then you can help improve it. Like, so the way, the way I look at it is the sensory information helps you perceive the world and frame your behavior, how you're gonna interact with that world, right? If you see someone that falls down, like, you know, that like you're perceiving an environment, and you're, you know, I think all three of us would go help that person out, right? So, so it's, 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 it's really kind of taking it step by step. I, I know it almost sounds simplistic, but it's just like, you know, I think we make things a lot more complex than we need them to be. And it's really, if we just, my dad, he's an engineer. So I'm sure you guys might have heard the whole term like kiss, right? Like keep it simple. Like, well, he said, stupid, I don't know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Keep it stupid. simple, stupid. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to confirm that. <laughs> like we, we have a propensity to want to over-engineer things. For whatever reason, we feel like if it's too simple, it can't be true, right? <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. It's, it's a human nature thing. But I, I think that's actually interesting that we, we like to think we're logical and rational, and the truth is that we're not. <laughs> right and i think that's that's actually fascinating to realize then if we want to create an ai system to help us with, with training or something else it actually has to understand the irrationality of people right, to be right. useful right you to have a good jarvis it's got to know when we're being stupid <laughs> <laughs> right and 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 your stupid is different than my stupid you know and that's and that's why i think like when i think about it like I'm not talking about AGI. I think that's going to be extremely difficult to get to. But I think if you start creating this ability to create a personalization, kind of to her, like Michael had referenced her, yeah. to an individual, you know, you can build towards that AGI because then you can take each of those and, you know, but really it's, it's how do I make it where if, if, if we're all excited about, well, maybe some of us are or not, about the fact that there's more phones than people in the world, right? Technically in theory, that means that everyone has access to technology, right? But how can we have that technology actually work for them? Mm -hmm. Rather than it just being a way for us to like consume a lot more information or, and do certain things, it really needs to, we need to have that symbiotic relationship. And that's, and I think that we have all the tools to do it right now. We literally have all the tools to do it. And um, it's really just, and, and I think everyone's starting to think differently too. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it's almost like the last, like during this whole digital innovation and, you know, from the dawn of the internet on, a lot of it's been a little bit of a social experiment that we're in. And then sometimes some of us take a step out going, okay, well, how did that work? <laughs> All right, what can we learn from that so we can help, you know, navigate the next like 10, 15, 20 years? And I, that's what I love about your guys' podcast is that, that you guys are talking about these types of things. So you know, it's it's Thank you. funny you said because I absolutely agree. Uh, it, it is a weird social experiment. I was I happened to be at the park the other day and I was just thinking about the the '90s. Uh, I was thinking about the show Friends for for a moment and just thinking about how that feels. It feels just like a completely different period of time. Um, the concerns people had in just as recently as the '80s and '90s are just so divorced from right now. Life has accelerated, technology has become so much a part of our lives. 
even just something as simple as catching a television show, you know, back in the 90s, if you missed it, or the 80s, excuse me, you missed it, most likely, unless you caught it with a VCR, you missed it. But all now you can you can access that. And that's just one small example. But I do feel like we have been learning to deal with technology. And of course, um, social media is a great example of this, where we have a situation where formerly people who maybe weren't contributing to the collective conversation now have access to. Uh, people who are not necessarily famous are weighing in. They may have followers and they're contributing to our conversation in ways that they would not just a few years ago. And all this stuff is happening within our lifetimes. It's, it, to your earlier point, it's, it is very exciting, I think. Yeah, it's very exciting. And then there's also the thing is, is it's, it's exciting, but we have to look at it from both ways. You know, it can be used for, for good and then it can be used for like what we're seeing with like misinformation and, and sure. things like that. So, so, but yeah, you're right. It gives a voice to people that need voices too. That, that That's the part that's exciting, right? Um, but, and then, then when you take it a step further to intelligence, then it's like, okay, well, how do we figure out the social media stuff? What, what we really like and what we don't necessarily, and right. how do we, how do we do how do we learn from that for the next for the next generation of, of technology? Well, I think that's Pandora's box, right, Kaiser? And that technology yeah. is a tool, and so how we choose to to wield it to create or destroy. But everyone talks about right use. What does right mean? Right, we all have different morals and ethics. Believe me, I I said this in front of the global regulators two years ago, and I got chastised for it. But techni- this is the digital age. There's no boundaries, right? So here's an interesting thought. You, 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 thank you for teeing this up. This is like an assist. Uh, <laughs> is, you know, one, one thing that I, I think about it is that, well, you know, people ask me like, why aren't you just, why don't you just do, why don't you just, some of my closest friends are like, why aren't you just practicing medicine? Like, why don't you just do that? And, you know, it's, and, you know, I thought about it, like I said, I, I kind of already answered that question a little bit earlier on, uh, you know, in our discussion, but, one thing that I always thought about is like any physician, no matter where they are in the world, we all took an oath, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you don't agree with them, even if they did some of the most heinous crimes, this, that, the other, you know, whether they have di- different, you know, you don't agree with them from a political standpoint, a religious standpoint, any of that. I mean, whether they're racist to your face, that's happened before, uh, like it doesn't matter because you look at them as like, I'm here to help you. You know, you're sharing your most intimate stuff with me. I mean, think about it. when you go to a physician, you're literally giving the biggest responsibility. Like if I'm operating on your eye, I mean, that's how you see the world, right? And you're giving me that, that privilege. Now, why don't we have that same type of ethos in technology? Because you're getting all my information. You know more about me than my own, like, you know, partner, my own, like, parents, siblings, best friends, whatever. Yeah. I'm giving you all this information, but there is none of that kind of like those principles. And I think that you can just borrow from that, you know, like that's, that's kind of like how we can infuse that whole, like do no harm, the Hippocratic oath into technology. I don't think that's a far-fetched idea in terms of like, you know, and I think you're seeing that you're seeing that at Stanford with like the human centered AI. You're seeing that like NYU, MIT, Carnegie, Oxford, like all these folks are talking about, human centered. Mm-hmm. So, but really it's just like, this is the whole point of why we're even talking. I mean, like, you know, the fact that you have to 
jump. You want to, you know, I, I've suffered from imposter syndrome so so much. <laughs> and so it's like, so you know, you kind of think like, okay, do I know enough to like talk to this person or this, that, and the other? And then like, but you realize you don't know until you actually have the conversation and the and kind of like cross pollinate. And that's and that's what we're doing here. I've never heard that the way you put it before, and I think it's a really good point. Neil and I are members of City.ai, and it's for the ethical use of artificial intelligence. And what you just mentioned before, the Hippocratic Oath, is a really good way to think about this. You're, you're absolutely right. If you're sharing data, which nothing could be more personal, more intimate than that, um, really it's, it's who you are, um, then it's, it seems that the people and the organizations that are using it have a moral responsibility and imperative to, to, to take that kind of oath, that might be a very interesting thing just to create um, because of the power you wield when you have that kind of, um, you have that, that access, that information. Oh, absolutely. There you go. We did it here. <laughs> <laughs> Done. All right. The global well, that, that, now, that we, now that we solved the world's problems, Kaiser. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how how can people stay in touch with you? Follow your, what's going on. What's the best way to to see what you're up to? Yeah, no, uh, you can you can you know we have you know I do a little bit of blogging on my website uh, on on Vizario. Uh, you can find us at at Stanford in terms of like Stanford Human Perception Lab, and then you know I have you know I have you can follow me on Twitter or on on Instagram. Uh, the handles I'm, I'm, you guys have. <laughs> so, we'll, we'll make sure you're in the show notes for everybody. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just goes to show you that I, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, I, I think it's, I think this is a, 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 a circle of, of, of trust here. So um, <laughs> I'm just getting into the social media game a little bit. So I'm not very attuned. So that's why I'm like, you know, you guys are probably like, this guy doesn't know his handles. I, I don't. <laughs> no, no, no worries for us. So for our audience, We'll make sure all that information is there. If you want to help Kaiser out with his social media, it sounds like he's very much open to that. So please do reach out. <laughs> but Kaiser, this has been a phenomenal discussion. Thank you for so much for sharing your story with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for everything you do. Appreciate it. Thank you, Kaiser. All right. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.